Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stansel. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Welcome Farm Bits followers and first-time listeners to the 46th episode of the Farm Bits podcast. Before we get into this episode, there's an important announcement that I'd like to make regarding the future of the Farm Bits podcast. Over the past year, we have enjoyed producing content about the state of the art and digital agriculture for you to learn from. As we come up on our one-year anniversary, the Farm Bits team has decided to make some changes to the podcast to make it more resilient and to bring better content to you, our listeners. During the month of September, we will be bringing on a group of new hosts to join me with expertise in a broad range of topics from animal science to agricultural education. There are two primary objectives of this restructuring. First, the diversity of host experience will allow us to bring you content focusing on a much broader range of topics. Second, having multiple hosts will allow our grad students to more intently focus on their research while still contributing their expertise to bring you quality content. To allow time for training new members of our hosting team and for the host to plan for upcoming content, the Farm Bits podcast will be taking a short break until October 7th of 2021. On October 7th, Farm Bits will return with an episode recapping the Tech Hub Live conference from July before getting back to the content that you've come to expect from Farm Bits. We hope that you will share with us your thoughts on this restructuring as we go and continue to listen in to Farm Bits episodes. Now getting back to this episode. On this episode, we welcome Seth Gurley and Jesse Zimes from CSS Farms. CSS Farms produces chipping potatoes in several different states and was founded in South Dakota. This episode was recorded on-site at CSS Farms location in Columbus, Nebraska. In this episode, we talk with Seth and Jesse about how they are using digital agriculture to stay on top of crop protection in a high-value crop like potatoes. You will hear them talk about some technologies that we have already featured here on the podcast, as well as other technologies we haven't explored in this series. The primary value of this episode is to get an inside look at a grower's perspective on the use of digital ag tools for precision crop management. Here's our interview with Jesse and Seth. Well, I'm Seth Greeley. I'm an agronomist on farm in Columbus. I've been here about six crops now. Jesse Zims, um, senior agronomist, been with the company for about 20 years. And so senior agronomist for Nebraska locations. So we got about four locations across Nebraska that I'll travel to. What does what CSS Farms look like overall? You know, what, what is it providing? Who, does, who do you all supply potatoes for and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so we're a multi-state company, uh, fully integrated from initial seed production through the commercial side. We have farms out in Idaho, Washington, Oregon, Texas, New York, and then Nebraska. We also have a subsidiary or sister company called Tasteful Selections that does uh, specialty crops of, you know, baby potatoes, and they might do some other bell peppers or watermelons. That's a whole different segment than (laughs) our potatoes here. Yeah, so uh, for anyone that isn't familiar with potato production, can you kind of give us an overview of uh, potato production on this farm and uh, from kind of from the seed to the end product? So seed you know, it comes in in the winter months, but it's also it's a full circle 
program here. There's never any good starting point. You can jump right in whenever. But seed, it all starts with the seed, clean seed. So we want to have our own greenhouse, which is doing the mini tubers or transplants. And it's being shipped to Cody Seed and they're growing it out for multiple generations, but it's clean seed, disease free. And that's what we take pride in is having a very good product at the end of the supply chain. Sure. So we're doing, we're growing commercial chip potatoes here in Columbus. So we bring in our seed during the winter months after we've shipped out last year's crop, storing sure. that. And then we go into our ground prep where we'll start doing heavy tillage, break up compaction, followed by some fumigation, then do a dry fertilizer spread, which is all variable rated. You know, we, in the fall time, we did our grid sampling, acre and a half grid samples, trying to narrow down the zones for what we need and when we need it. To that, we go into planting, where planting 20 foot planters, you know, two beds wide on our planters, two sure. planters in Columbus. So it's a long, long season planting. And we go into pre-emerged herbicides, scouting. Stuff you, the stuff you run into pretty much on every crop at that point, yeah. Yeah, and water management's critical throughout the season making the right decisions of how much, when, then your fungicides, disease protectants, right into harvest again and shipping it out and seed. It's kind of a real quick overview <laughs> of it. I guess y'all are kind of operating on mostly rented ground here in, in Columbus and you kind of rotate potatoes every three years in production. Is that right? Yeah. So we, most of our ground we have in Columbus is leased because it is a, three-year rotation, you know, we're doing the rotation, spreading it out over time for disease control. And we found that three or more years has been helping break some disease cycles. And, and so we're just constantly rotating around. Sure. And then on our seed farm, we're actually a four-year rotation okay. there. Just a little bit longer rotation mm -hmm. for disease management. Gotcha. And that crop typically is a little bit shorter too. So, you know, some, some diseases like Verticillium, um, we can kill that crop a little bit early before that kind of builds up in the plant. Sure. And that way it doesn't carry over as much of a load um, from year to year. So kind gotcha. of disease management too. Sure. Yeah, I think that's kind of what we want to want to get into here is a little bit more about kind of crop protection. So what are your biggest challenges that you kind of encounter with a potato crop in terms of crop protection? I mean, across, you know, weeds, insects, disease, everything. Well, I think it all starts in the beginning, you know, soil sampling in depth and having the right fertility program out there and water program. Because if you have a really, really healthy crop, you don't have to fight diseases or insects as much. Sure. You know, it's naturally protecting itself. But once that kind of tapers off, then we get into how we start fighting fire, I guess. Sure. I think we have a lot of the same weed complexes of most corn and soybean producers. Mm -hmm. You know, we got a lot of pigweeds. We got resistance to those pigweeds. Uh, we're also dealing with nightshades, morning glory, grasses. Sure. Um, we don't have a lot of chemical control. <laughs> sure. With that being a potato, you know, we got 
couple pre-emerged herbicides, and then we need the ground cover from the potato as it emerges to shade out anything else. Um, as far as insects, we get you know, some nagging European corn borer bore early season, it'll tunnel in the stems or get potato leaf hoppers, asters, insects of that. And, but we're trying to always manage, you know, the right timing or the insect pressure to know if we need to spray for it or not treat for it. And then deciding if we need to treat for it, which stage is that insect at, sure. you know, because yep. different chemicals control different <laughs> stages of life. Sure. I guess we deal with a lot of diseases too. Yeah. We've been talking about that. We do the fumigation early before planting about 14 to 21 days before sure. plant, but a gas off. And that's mainly for verticillium. Okay. That'll plug the vascular tissue of the potatoes. And as you get further on in the season, you know, late August, your crop's dying. It's usually from vert. Sure. Uh, we get a lot of a lot of early, you know, season diseases such as gray mold, which is just okay. moisture sitting on the leaf tips, but haven't dealt with that a lot. Uh, the one we do fight is early blight. Yeah. And now that one, <laughs> that one's a tough one and managing it and knowing where to look, when to look is all critical and what products to use when you need to start spraying. What's So I guess kind of getting these fungicides, insecticides, what sort of application equipment are you using to get these things out there? Y'all using planes, high clearance applicators, pivots? I mean, how, how are y'all going about kind of getting these products out there to help your crop? Um, combination of everything. We got our own on-farm sprayer with, with tracks on it, which is really nice. So we can, it's at our disposal. It's a luxury item, I suppose you could say. <laughs> um, so we're not waiting on the co-op to come out and spray for us. I'm out there scouting and I find some pig weeds that are already, you know, half an inch big. I'm calling the sprayer and he's out there in 90 minutes spraying, treating if we need to treat for that. You know, if mother nature throws us a curveball and we can't get the ground rig out there, we'll chemigate some products out there for pre-emerge herbicides. Um, and then fertilizer, most of that's done through the pivot in season. Sure. We have used an airplane or helicopter in the past, but having a ground rig, I think has been fundamental. Yeah, just better coverage overall, you know, sure. Or we're, depending on what we're using um, for the particular chemical, we might be using 12 gallons or 20 gallons an acre for the carrier. So we're, we're getting pretty good coverage with that. Sure. So we had a chance to kind of, you know, tour around the farm this morning and see a lot of this, this technology that y'all have sitting here um, I guess to kind of get into some of the, the tools that y'all are using um, to kind of influence your crop protection decisions and, and just kind of track your crop and, and the crop health over the course of the season. This crop canopy aspect, are y'all using any particular tools out there to kind of track that crop canopy in, in addition to scouting or anything like that? Or? Yeah, we're using a program canopy or canopio. I'm not sure how you say that one, sure. but um, we're, we're using that app to kind of instead of visually looking at the canopy and trying to estimate what it is, we're actually using an app that hooks to your phone and you can take an image, you know, kind of determine what that percent canopy is. 
for you. And we're using that to really look at not only individual varieties, but in a particular field, you know, how long has it taken us to get from emergence to 100% ground cover? And, you know, we kind of say we're into the business of uh, capturing sunlight. And so we want to get from emergence to 100% ground cover as quick as we can. And that definitely helps us in, in weed control. Yeah, I think my favorite part of the tour was definitely the sprinkler pivot irrigation system. Uh, are you guys using, or can you describe like the system that you had on this uh, sprinkler pivot and what you are using it for, for crop protection or? So <clears throat> the pivot bot, as we call it, <laughs> it's a high-speed pivot. It's making about an 82-minute circle, putting on two hundredths, like 0.02 <laughs> inches of water. Yeah which is hardly anything, the water. And we've been using it for two years now to apply some of our fungicides. It's allowing good coverage. We think it's getting underneath the leaf tissue too, underneath the leaf in the plant. So if you have insecticide or insects, you need to apply insecticides. It gets under there and might kill the nymphs that are underneath the leaf surface. Uh, I don't know if it's been better or worse than our ground rig, but it's definitely been easier to use than a ground rig. Sure. And mm -hmm. I mean, 82 minutes or a 90 minute circle is fast. Yeah. And you don't have to drive a sprayer there and fill it up, spray it out, fill up again, spray a whole circle. Sure. Plus you don't have somebody sitting in the cab all day, which is yeah. helpful, I'm sure, as well. Yeah. So then you're cutting labor costs, machine hours there. From a disease standpoint, I mean, we haven't had any issues of, you know, any major blow-ups for disease. So it's, I think it's worked very well for us. So with irrigation and pivots being such kind of a crucial part of your management for potatoes, I'm sure you're trying to get as much out of them as you can, you know, out there on the farm. And when we were, when we were walking around, you kind of mentioned the uh, Prospera system that I guess it's cameras that are mounted on individual spans out there on the pivot. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about that and kind of what, what potential you see there and what that system is trying to achieve? Yeah, so it's a camera mounted system on certain spans of the pivot from Valley. And basically every time it's on running in a circle, mm -hmm. it's taking pictures as it's going. Then it's sent to the cloud, sent to an agronomist that they have hired to look through all the photos. And then they send us out a report once a week saying you have weeds here that are emerging. It's a broadleaf weed. They haven't got dialed down to exactly which weed yet. Sure. But I'm sure they'll get there. Yeah. It's kind of in its infancy right now. Sure. But it's it's detecting grasses. Okay. Really nice. Um, and then, you know, as we were emerging, it showed yellowing plants. Huh. And it gives you a GPS location where all those photos are taken. That's awesome. Yeah, and as we progress through the season, you know, it's showing us insect feeding. There's holes in the canopy. This section of the field is wilting. It's been beneficial for us. It gives us another tool in the toolbox. You know, I'm out in the fields every day during the growing season, but this kind of helps me out, guides me a little bit more. You know, if I hadn't planned on walking that particular section of the field, sure. I might walk over there and discover that I have a disease issue or I need to spray for insects or, you know, it's, it's been beneficial. 
I think it's going to continue to evolve over time. I think eventually, you know, it's, it's machine learning, right? Okay. Yeah. And so they're going to build into those programs to know, instead of somebody actually looking at that image, uh, it'll know, okay, this is a brown spot. It's probably disease. And, you know, maybe they'll get to the level of detail of what disease it is, but at least, you know, through machine learning, be able to kind of detect that without having somebody actually look at that image. Yeah, it sounds like they they offer a lot of, you know, very targeted information for exactly what y'all are trying to do. Um, as it, are there any other ways that y'all are using imagery right now to, to kind of inform some of your crop protection? Are there any other products that y'all have tested out for crop protection purposes? Yeah, we're we're doing Tyrannus as well. Um, okay. Six or seven fields here doing the drone flights and they're sending back imagery too. And, you know, it's more pictures than we've gotten with Valley. Um, the level of detail is pretty similar. I mean, I've been happy with them and we've been in discussion with them of how we can improve things. Uh, both companies are giving you satellite imagery as part of a value added package. And, sure. Yeah. You know, NDVI or infrared. You, you can look at that, but almost every technology company that's standard now. You got satellite through it pretty much. Yeah. 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 I think it's going to help us in the realm of, since we don't have a good yield monitor, um, and the reason for that is, you know, it's kind of going off of weight and uh, when you get the heavy dirt, it's weighing some of the dirt and, you know, to nobody's really perfected a good yield monitor to separate dirt from potatoes. Um, and so from doing R&D and, and not having a yield monitor to know, you know, was that treatment effective or not? I, I think that's where some of that imagery is kind of coming into play, whether it's a fertilizer strip or, you know, a certain fungicide that you put on. Now you can use some of this imagery to know, okay, you know, we didn't visually walk out there and see a difference. Sure. But something in the imagery is telling us there there is a difference there. And so that might mean now we go out and we do a testing where we dig up a certain area and kind of check the quality and the yield of it. You kind of showed us an app earlier where you're trying to, that y'all have kind of developed internally that you're trying to integrate a lot of this information and, and dig into what exactly, like what stressors might be causing the issues that you're running into, whether it's canopy, whether it's, you know, an app late application of a chemical. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and kind of how you're using these numbers to, to influence your management? Well, we, we've got a, got multiple systems that are kind of all going into one BI system, right? Yep. So then we can look at reports, we can look at that data and make more of a real-time decision of some of the inputs that we put into a crop. Um, one of those examples that we were kind of talking about is ground cover, getting that information in. So you can look across your farm at multiple fields and see which field of a certain variety is a little bit behind on getting ground cover. Mm -hmm. Now we can discuss why is that. So we can look at all of our fertility information. How much nitrogen is on there? How much phosphorus? Is it a fertility issue? Maybe it's a disease issue. Mm -hmm. Now, um, what chemistries do we do on this field to you know, control some of the diseases. Maybe it's a cultural practice that we did that we got to make some sort of a change. And then of course you've got the really good fields and why are those so good? And we can look at real, you know, more of a real time in the season, 
investigate those things instead of kind of our winter farming of after the fact of, okay, what happened? We can investigate that right then and there, hopefully make some decisions in season to kind of change the end outcome. So you mentioned like yield being a driver. One one of the things that struck me was how well connected your potato production is to the end product and uh, like the potato chip factories that you're communicating with on the quality and a lot of other factors. So can you talk about how you can manage potatoes both for quality, crop quality and for crop yield? And then uh, another driver would be sustainability. You mentioned earlier, that's maybe a newer one that's uh, starting to drive things. Could you tell us a bit about how those three drivers affect your production practices? Well, I think they're, they're all pretty complex. I think mm-hmm. that's probably one of the reasons that maybe draws us a little bit to potatoes is just there, there's complexity there. Um, and you're always going to learn you know, that that all starts with variety selection, having a good clean seed crop. Um, you know, it's, yeah, we can, we can drive for yields, but we still have to have a good quality product. You know, con- consumers want a good product that they're going to eat. So a lot of stuff that we do is chips. And so when you open up a bag of chips, you want nice, clean, white chips. You don't want something that's green or it's got a brown spot and looks burnt. Um, so the consumers kind of demand that you have good quality. And so your processors are going to push you as, as a grower to have good quality. And then really a big thing now is sustainable egg. And so how, those kind of all got to work together of sustainability and, you know, there's, there's a big goal in sustainability to reduce the amount of water that you're using. And so that's why we've got um, soil moisture sensors out there and trying to do a little bit of variable irrigation to, Put the water where it needs to be when it needs to be there so and, and really right now i think with processors that that's a scorecard that you get mm-hmm. and so yield although is important to us as a grower to them more importantly now is sustainability and quality is just you know expected pretty it's, much it's yeah, expected yeah. now yeah. I, I think we always used to you know pride ourselves on we have really good quality product and you know that's that's what you're getting when you come from CSS, but sure. that's kind of the name of the game. Everybody has that. Now it's, you know, really getting judged on what are you doing sustainability wise? And it's, it's produced some challenges and it's been good for us as a company, I think, to grow and try different things and better ourselves. Yeah. Better ourselves. At the end. So, uh, you know, potatoes, Zach kind of brought up this point that, you know, you are so connected to the end consumer. Uh, and there are a lot of potatoes that are going, you know, directly out to Frito-Lay that are going to end up with consumer. And so, you know, you're storing a lot here on the farm. How do you manage your disease when you get potatoes stored in the bin, making sure that, you know, they're not uh, rotting there and you're, you know, having losses or kind of creating something that may end up, you know, being a negative for Frito-Lay when it gets to the factory? Like, you know, we kind of know through the growing season of, maybe what what issues that we have in the field that might be an issue going into storage and so can we grade that out i, I think one of the things i always think about uh, when 
when we talk about potato storages is if you have a bad crop in the field and you know that, a potato storage is not a hospital, right? You're, you're not going to throw them in a storage and they're going to get better over time. Yep. That's just not going to happen. And so when you get them in a storage, season really isn't over. You're still managing that crop. It's going through respiration and um, sugar breakdown. Yep. And, and so you really got to manage that. So we monitor sugars um, once a week during the sure. or during the storage season. Um, everything is temperature controlled within a tenth of a degree. We got CO2 sensors in our, our storages, uh, humidity controlled. And so we're always putting humidity in there. We're probably 95, 98% humidity most of the time. Wow. Yeah. And our air air systems are almost going 24 hours a day. Yeah, it's a, it's a delicate system. It's a delicate storage. You know, if we decide we need to lower the temperature just to be able to store them later season as far as May or June, mm-hmm. we'll lower that temperature to 46 degrees. Wow. And going from, say, 48 to 46 <laughs> degrees, we might lower a tenth of a degree every 12 hours or yeah. every 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So it's a slow ramp so we don't put those potatoes into shock. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. We'll go throughout the storage season, walk across the pile and maybe dig down a little bit, see what we got. We'll take them into our lab. We'll fry them up, see what the fry quality looks like, see if it's going off color or not. Probably one of the biggest things um, is we'll stand at the end of the air system. So all the return air, we'll stand there and we'll actually smell that air. Huh. And so if it smells kind of a pneumonia smell, right. we're in trouble. We're going to have breakdown. It's going to start to rot. Sure. And then there's some just kind of a rot type of smell, but it's not all that bad. We know that's probably a different disease that we're dealing with. And and so, you know, just your sense of smell, it's kind of <laughs> odd to say that, but sure. that does help determine maybe what disease you might have. It sounds like it's a pretty labor intensive process to kind of manage these, these bins and make sure you're staying on top of disease. And this is just kind of an off the wall question, but have y'all, are y'all aware of any systems out there that are being developed to kind of visually see what's going on in a bin at any given point in time and maybe identify disease or is that something that i don't know I, we, we talked about light being an issue earlier today so maybe it's not even really an option to have you know vision systems within the bin but i think we tried a thermal camera inside the storage bins at one time so if you're not getting enough good airflow sure you'll see that hot spot uh, i mean it's a btu system so it's always reporting well, your return temp, inflow temp, you know, your deviations from that, your CO2, your humidity, it's all graphed out and it's real time. If a bin goes down, we get a text message or, if, you know, the deviation is more than two degrees, what it should be, we get a message. So we know mm-hmm. we better have somebody there soon looking at it. Sure. Um, as far as in storage monitoring i don't know of anything and we just got a bottom pile sensor temperature sensor in the top pile temperature sensor um and we can look at those to see if we have some sort of a spike temperature inversion yeah we've got we've got an issue uh we'll usually take a wind meter down the tubes and check the velocity and so if one of them is less we can maybe determine that we got a hot spot and so that pile is maybe shrink a little bit, 
kind of choking off the air somewhat until we know we will have an issue there. Now we can, you know, turn vents on and off through, through those air systems to maybe push a little more air through there. I guess one of the things that I I wanted to ask about is how do you, we kind of got into this a little bit earlier, but how do you really go about testing out different crop protection products and making sure that they're, you know, efficacious. I mean, we, we briefly mentioned that imagery is starting to be an option, but the lack of a yield monitor is kind of a, a really big deal. So can you tell us a little bit about how you do research trials out here on the farm to figure out product efficacy? But I think it's, it's the challenge, right? Because we don't have a yield monitor. So anytime we do a trial, I, I think we have a lot of trains that we do in the, in the winter and, early on when we have newer people kind of come in and we talk about R and D research and, um, split a pivot in half, right? We kind of display this in a presentation of, okay, we did treatment A on one side and treatment B and the yield difference was, you know, 50 bags difference. Sure. And okay. Are you going to buy product A or are you going to buy product B? Right. And everybody kind of makes a choice, but in the end we didn't do any treatment difference. It's just a, fact of variability within the field. And so it's hard to split pivots and look at different products. Um, But we we can do that from time to time. We'll do strips down a field. um, And then we also do a lot of small block replications for R&D. And it's, again, it's all hand labor. So we got to go out there and do paired samples or, you know, we get all of our small block replicated stuff um, by hand usually. So when y'all are looking at technologies to use, like for example, the technology you've talked about integrating into the single BI system, what, what about a particular technology is most attractive to you? What do you look for in those technologies? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? There, there's a lot of technologies out there, right? Yeah. yeah. I think we probably look at it at first of, you know, is there any research? trials that have been done on it. Um, I, I remember, you know, some presentations from Jeff Miller at Miller Research, and he kind of always displayed, you know, when, he, when we did R&D type training is, he would display, okay, in God we trust, everybody <laughs> else bring data. <laughs> and that's, and pretty good. that's our pro- approach to everything is, you know, when we get sales reps or chemical reps, right? They come in and all oh, this is great. We really want to know. We we want that data. We want to know the statistics of that to really determine is this new technology for us. And you know, it's has it been done before? And you know, can we talk to those growers that have actually used that technology? Sure. And then we'll start to kind of do our own research and, and adopt things. Sure. I, I think we like to think we do a lot of technological stuff, um, but we're probably slow to adopt just because of our limitations. Sure. Of, it's all hand labor, you know, we don't have a yield monitor, so it's it's pretty hard to adopt, especially if, you know, that new technology only gives you a little bit of an advantage. You know, sure. that, that's pretty hard to see in statistics. Yeah. Um, but it might give you another 10, 20 bags. Sure. So the, so the efficacy is always number one first thing. And then after that is more the, the user interface and how easy is it to work with and, and right. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think definitely if it's not easy, um, it, it's pretty hard to get adopted. Sure. Because we're, you know, it's, potatoes are pretty complex and it'd probably be adopted a lot if it was just the agronomist doing it. Um, but the amount of work that you have into a potato crop, you got a lot of people helping out. You mm-hmm. have irrigation managers, um, you got farm managers, you got a lot of, a lot of boots on the ground that are doing a lot of different things. And that technology has to be fairly simple and fairly easy to use. Sure. Yeah, we tried a lot of things that just didn't work. They were too complex. One or two persons, people would uh, figure it out, yeah. try to push it on the rest of us or the rest of the company. It just wasn't, wasn't a good fit. Sure. So it's got, it's just keep everything simple. <laughs> Go to yep. the basics. Yep. Simple enough to use, but complex enough to work. And it's, you got to strike that balance. What advancements, like what technology advancements do you think are you're most excited for that you know about? And then also attached to that, are there any particular technologies that you wish were out there that you just haven't seen anything on that could kind of help you out a little bit around the farm? Well, I think it's, you know, from a, yeah, the dip, dip oil breeding, I think it's going to probably revolutionize the potato industry. Um, you know, and, and that's similar to, you know, maize and, and corn and, and how they do it. And so it's kind of a, you know, when you, since most of our potato, common potato varieties are tetraploid, um, when you cross two varieties together, you don't always end up with the genes that you wanted. And so because potatoes have such a genetic load, you got a lot of good genes and a lot of bad genes. And so when they actually do cross pollination and everything, um, you know, you kind of get what you get. And so I think that's why in the industry, you know, 20 years ago when I started, we still have some of those same varieties. Mm -hmm. And you would think through, you know, you look at corn or soybeans, I mean, (laughs) what you had 20 years ago does not exist. You're it's not obsolete. It's, yeah. it's completely obsolete. But the potato industry, we're still using some of those varieties just because it's so hard to get crosses and get what you actually want. Sure. And so through genetics and, and breeding programs um, and doing diploid breeding, I think that's really going to change so we can get the traits that we actually want. Yeah. And I think that technology is... 10, 12, 15 years down the road. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely something that I think is probably gonna revolutionize the industry. From a, you know, that's yield, that's quality. Um, disease resistance. Disease resistance, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you do that and then you you can cut out a lot of protectants you have to use or sure. are using. You cut back a couple applications, that's, that's a lot of dollars for us. Sure. Yeah, you know, I think it's, you know, when you talk about weed resistance um, and diseases that are out there, uh, it's pretty important for us to understand what what did the previous person do on this field? So we're not using the same chemistries. You know, when, when we talk about crop protection, really I think the number one thing that we talk about is resistance management. And we had an excellent early blade um, product and you know, through some of our, our practices and how we use that product, we kind of lost that product. 
Wow. And we actually had sprayed it on a field. You know, it's one of our premium products. We sprayed that product on the field. Week later, we go out there and it actually, you know, after we sent it in and got a check with the university, it actually fed on it. And wow. so we went from excellent control to complete disaster. And so whether that's, you know, in Texas, psyllids, the potato psyllid is a huge thing for us. And they quickly become resistant to any chemistry. And so really understanding integrated pest management, resistance management is really key for us to, so we're not using, we're using the right rates. We're not using a chemistry too much. Um, um, right timing. Right timing, yeah. Uh, NSTAR or NIM for adult or you know eggs you got to know which product's going to control that and the life cycle is so quick on that psyllid <laughs> you got to be three steps ahead of the game for when you know you're going to treat for it yeah it's kind of one of those spots where having a camera out there you know it's seeing it every time a pivot runs around like that prosperity system could come in really handy it sounds like yeah i think that's you know i think around as agronomists we think we see it yeah, um, we, we walk across the field and yep, we know everything about that field, but you know, we're making one path across that 130 acres. We didn't see it all. Sure. And so you, I think that's where you could rely on a system like that to maybe, you know, find that needle in the haystack yeah. before your whole haystack burns up. Right. I mean, sure. It, that's kind of our end goal of, you know, we, we do have a management plan, you know, a fungicide plan that we kind of have and that changes depending on what mother nature throws at you and what diseases you see in the field mm -hmm. and if that system can pick it up earlier we might switch some of the things that we do um, for management yeah instead of using a premium fungicide we might just use a regular protectant that's you know a lot easier to use and mm -hmm. not as expensive Sure. You know, if you cut off one of those premiums, you spend <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And you can still, if you're timely enough, you can still get good enough control. Yeah. 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 But, you know, early blight, you miss a spot that's 10 square feet. Next week, it's going to be 15. Yeah. And it just compounds if you don't find it and if you're using the wrong product or don't break out the big guns, I suppose. Sure. To stop it in its tracks. Yep. You know, it spreads like wildfire. You know, like you see in our field, we're digging for fresh. You know, we we have to stop spraying for pre-harvest intervals so it's safe. You know, you've seen how fast that canopy was just gone. Yep. You know, done for. And then we went to the other field where we've been treating it, and it's just lush green grass almost. That's right. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yep. So, so like you talked earlier, if we can detect those things early. Maybe yeah. we can even use our high-speed pivot to swing it over there and put a certain fungicide just in that one spot. Yeah. You know, that might help us reduce cost or, you know, maybe we double up chemistry. Right. Two different modes of action now instead of just putting one across. And so your resistance is way better managed. Yeah, we'll have yeah. just way better resistance management. And yeah. your sustainability scorecard probably looks better too because yeah. you only yeah. put out so many gallons or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Do you have any advice uh, for other farm operations, uh, other potato growers out there that are trying to figure out how they get an edge on their crop protection techniques out there in the field? You know, as far as advice, you know, 
do your due diligence, research, you know, see what somebody else has done before you. Don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah. You know, chances are the research has been done in a different state or a different university, and they've either proved you right or proved you wrong. There's no sense in working twice as hard. <laughs> yep. You know, life's easy if you capitalize on something else. That's right. <laughs> I think it's just always trying to keep learning, you know, figure out who, who is doing a better job than you, who, who are the better growers. Sure. Pick their brain, understand, you know, who, who are they working with? What agronomists are they using? You know, what, what are the things that make their operation so much better yeah. than, than what you're doing? You know, I, I think we always try to go to a conference, you know, we call them potato schools that, you know, <laughs> yeah. major growing regions for potatoes and you know I, I always think of you gotta at least try to walk away with one thing sure. you know try to find it at minimum that one thing that's going to really change what you do thank you very much to seth Gurley and jesse zimes for taking the time to join us on the farm bits podcast and for being willing to host the farm bits team up at css farms in columbus nebraska thought it was a really good time to get out on the farm, actually see what potato production looks like, uh, get a chance to ride on a, a potato harvester. Um, we, we really got to see a lot of cool things. Um, and I think the two things that really stood out to me were all the, all the different technologies that they're trying out to make pivots, uh, more of a multi-use machine in their operation uh, and taking advantage of them because they are such a big part of their potato management. Um, from the pivot bot to the Prospera system, there's just a lot that they're, they're seeking to do. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really interesting is how much they care about canopy cover uh, and how important that is to their, their total operation from deciding when to harvest, whether they're harvesting something for fresh potatoes or for storage potatoes, uh, but then also, you know, kind of figuring out uh, different management strategies, including for crop protection purposes. Uh, it, seems, it seems like they're using quite a few digital tools to try to help assess that crop canopy. So. Yeah, both Jesse and Seth had a really good understanding of all aspects of their production system, everything from producing the seed potatoes to uh, crop production, everything in season, like you mentioned, irrigation, also integrated pest management. They knew everything about the common diseases, insects, and weed pests that they face in a growing season. And then their, uh, their end use product, like the uh, potato chip plants, what they needed to see in that product that they were producing as well. So the whole production system, they were very knowledgeable with. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was a really great episode and hopefully a good opportunity for our listeners to learn about kind of a new production system for them. So anyway, uh, really appreciate that, Jesse and Seth, and uh, look forward to y'all joining us after our break uh, on October 7th. Um, we look forward to having you turn in again then. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We'd like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. 
The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect reviews of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits. Oh,